The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. It is a Tuesday morning. I know a lot of you on the East Coast are already feeling the snow and getting ready for more snow on the way. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to rub it in, but here on the West Coast, it's a fairly warm day. Uh, but we're feeling it for you, and there's a lot going on in this autism community that we're going to be talking about with you this morning during the show. We are going to be with you live for the next two hours talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. There are so many different aspects to being on this journey. Nothing is off the table. We talk about it all. You guys wrote in a lot of questions over the weekend. The ones that I can field we'll be talking about with you. And there are a couple in particular that I want to save for tomorrow for Ask Dr. Doreen. But uh, you know, of course, we will be talking about today and tomorrow. Uh, of course, there's breaking news in the Avante Aquendo case, the young boy, 14 years old, who went missing from his school on October 4th of last year. And so many people have been looking for him uh, throughout the time that is... Uh, gone by. And of course, if you've been watching the news, you know that there were some very gruesome details, but uh, parts of a body have been recovered. And it is a waiting game now, waiting to see if the DNA match is there and if indeed it is Avante Aquendo. And we wait with the family. Uh, there are many questions. We're going to be covering it a little bit later on in the show. And of course, if we're expecting that the DNA's results could be in as early as tomorrow, but if something comes in sooner, we will break into our programming to let you know and keep you up to date about what's happening as much as we know. But of course, our thoughts and our prayers are with that family. It's a difficult day for the autism community. It's been a difficult couple of months, but what is it like for the family? We can only imagine, right? Um, but there are many other things that we're going to be talking about, including, we talked about this a little bit last week, about what can we do? Because uh, it's not enough for something like this to have happened. We have to learn from it. We have to grow from it. We have to take control of the things that we can take control of. So we're not just going to report on it. We're going to be telling you about things that we can do, how we can better train our teachers, how we can uh, make sure that the people who have access to our children when we drop them off at the school understand what the commitment is and what they have to do, right? Uh, because we're all in, in that position of at some point trusting somebody else and knowing that in our hearts that you know they are 
we can never completely keep our kids safe, but there are things that we can do to make the best level chance for that happening. Uh, many other things that we have to cover today as we continue on this journey through autism. I want to start out by reminding you that this show is meant to be interactive. Emily's going to cycle through some of the different ways that you can get in touch with us. If you need a place to talk about your feelings about what's happening as this unfolds, you can come here. If you have suggestions for story ideas, and you guys have been writing in over the weekend, we're, we're taking them to heart and finding the experts that we need to have on the show. In any case, uh, we want to remind you that go to www.autism live.com that's one place to watch the show when you go there that's our home page you will see a desktop there is a computer screen that's there click on the little triangle that's there and you can be watching either the live show or the most recently recorded live show and then next to that box on the side, I mean, there's many other things on that website. Find our blog, all, all kinds of different information and resources. But there's a long, skinny white box. That's your live feature. Put your cursor there and type away, hit enter, and it shows up magically on my screen with only a slight delay. We always just say instantaneously. And we're discovering that it's not so much instantaneously, but within about a minute, it shows up here on the screen. Uh, so, and that's our way for you to interact in a live way. You don't have to log in. There's no charge at all for that. That's a free way for you to maintain your anonymity and to be talking with us and get the support that you need. You know, last week was all about support and, and how important it is for all of us, whether you're the parent teacher practitioner, because you need support if you're one of those people, or you yourself are the person who is on the autism spectrum. We know that there's a certain amount of support that needs to happen to get to the, the best possible place, right? Uh, everybody needs some support, but definitely within the autism community, we could use some extra support. Which brings me to my next thing. I always like to remind you at the start of the show that while we bring in a lot of experts into the show, we trot people in and we give them an opportunity to sit here and talk with you in real time about the things that are going on in your life. Two things to keep in mind. No one on the show can give you child-specific advice. There just isn't enough opportunity to know the individual to give child-specific or adult-specific advice in this form at, but there's still a lot that we can talk about to send you on your way to find the resources that you want to. And the other thing that I always like to remind you is that I myself am not an expert in autism. I am a parent. Like many of you, I strive to know as much as I can because my son was diagnosed with autism almost exactly eight years ago today. Um, and he was two and a half at that time. Obviously, he's ten and a half now. It was not my favorite day. Let's say that. But it was a day in which I started on a journey with my family to see what we could find out. And it's been an epic journey so far and we're nowhere near done, right? I'm on this path with all of you and learning on a daily basis. I, I have so much hope for where we can get today and where we can get tomorrow and where we can get five years from now if we all hold hands and we share information. And that's really what this show is about, is coming together as a community and saying there's a lot going on. And it's not all negative, right? You, we can't blow, you know, happy bubbles all the time and say, oh, it's all fabulous here in the autism community, because that's not the truth either. Uh, the truth is just so much richer than that, that there are all kinds of things that are going on that are amazing and all kinds of things that are just really picking hard. But so we talk about them here, and uh, I try to bring uh, a, a hopeful uh, 
you know, because I've seen so many things happen that are hopeful experience here. But I, I also want to remind you that I bring my passion here because I want to help you to find what's going to help you right? People did that for me. I have a lot to pay for it. And that's why I'm here. Take advantage of it. Pick my brain. You're not bugging me. Uh, that's, that's why we are here. And I'll do my level best to help you out. How's that for a deal, right? And it's free. How can you refuse that, right? Uh, all right. We try to be useful. Okay. Something that we like to do in the morning towards being useful. I think of it, you know, as our daily workout. Uh, sometimes it's a, a bitter little pill, but we take on every day the jargon of the day. This is when we have one word, one phrase, one acronym, and we try to make some sense of it. First, we look at the actual definition. Then we give you a somewhat watered down version that makes our BCBAs, our board certified behavior analysts, uh, a little bit nauseous because it is a, a somewhat, I, I just have to get it connected so that you guys can see it. It doesn't want to. There we go. Uh, I'm just connecting our thing and then I'll be right with you. But I want you to be able to see this because this is one that's particularly difficult, um, but super duper important. OK, so in any case, we want to make sense of these terms. Uh, we want to begin to understand them so that when the experts are talking about them and when it's time to implement these things, it's more important to me that we know what it is we're doing than the term. But sometimes understanding what the term is helps us. It's a shorthand. That's really what it is. That's what jargon is, a shorthand so that we don't have to constantly explain ourselves. Okay, so what am I talking about today? Ooh, it's a big one. You ready? Chaining. Now, remember when we used to make the paper chains when we were little kids in school and they'd get that thick paste and you cut the construction paper and you put it through and you, you know, you'd make the circle and then you'd put the other one through and you chain it. And eventually it seemed like it was going to take forever, but the classroom would do it. And especially during the holidays, eventually you'd have this 40 foot long chain. Well, it's kind of like that, but let's, let's take it apart here. So our actual definition, right? Uh, you getting a headache yet? Here we go. A procedure for teaching behavior chains where initially the teacher completes all the steps in the chain except for the first or last step, which is completed by the child. Forward chaining involves completing the first step. Backward chaining involves starting with completion of the last step. The child receives reinforcement once the chain is completed. When the child shows competence in completing the first slash last step in the chain, the teacher performs all but the mastered step and the next step in the chain and so on until the child is completing the entire behavior chain independently. Okay. You know, I don't know about you, but my brain starts to get a glimmer, but it gets so convoluted. I go, what, what are we talking about here? So let's take a look at our working definition. Chaining is a procedure for teaching a behavior sequence where the child masters one step at a time while the teacher completes the remaining unknown steps until the child has mastered all the steps in the chain and is completing the whole sequence independently. Okay. So we've talked before on the show about how we're all exhibiting behavior all the time, right? Um, everything that I'm doing and I'm using my hands, it's behavior. Everything that you're doing, it's behavior. And when we want to teach a behavior, sometimes we'll hit a wall and we'll go, it's just not happening. It's not gelling. It's not, you know, I don't know why they don't get it. And it could, whatever it is, uh, we can take it apart and make the paper chain. 
and we're going to be talking about this a lot today, as you'll see in a second. But uh, for instance, let's take tying your shoes. This is a skill that we all want to be able to do, right? And we want our kids to be able to do it. And it involves a lot of different things, right? It, you, first, you got to locate the shoes. <laughs> you got to open the shoes up so that you can get the foot in. Then you got to pull up on the strings so that the shoe is tight. Then you got to cross the laces over and tuck one underneath. And then you got to pull again, right? All of this is involved a lot and that's that's just the beginning because then we got to get into making the bunny ears and dancing around the bunny ears or do you make two bunny ears and tie them together oh my goodness right um, it's actually quite overwhelming and if you can think back in your head to when you learned how to tie shoes uh, it was sort of this mysterious kind of thing I remember being four and tying the, the little yarn bow on my slippers and running downstairs and saying to my mom, I did it, I did it, I did it. I really didn't know how I did it, but I did it. And my mother was so excited and, and you know, everybody was like dancing in the kitchen. And my dad, who was working nights at that point, got up and he was like, you know, my little girl learned how to tie her shoes. Very reinforcing for me. The daddy got up on a morning when he wasn't, you know, he'd just barely gotten home from work, but it was that exciting. So I I wanted to learn to tie my shoes again. For our kids who are on the autism spectrum, you know, you could wheel out a circus and it might not be enough because the steps are, there are so many steps and it requires so much fine motor, right? Um, so we're not going to make the whole task the thing that's reinforcing. We're going to take it apart. We're going to take apart the task and all those little steps that I just started to go through, we're going to take it one at a time. And, you know, in the beginning, we're going to make it reinforcing for the child just to go and get their shoes and figure out how, you know, how we uh, teach how to put which shoe on, that we make the shoes sit down uh, next to each other and we see that their toes aren't po pointing in. Or sometimes people say you look for the, uh, you know, there has to be that little uh, space between the sho shoes that you see that they're right, but it's a visual for the shoes are facing the right way instead of waiting till they put them on the foot because that's frustrating, right? So maybe we start with just go get your shoes and line your shoes up. Wow, you did such a good job. And we can start doing that with a child that's two. Get your shoes, let's line your shoes up. Oh, look, and then we put them on the feet, the corresponding feet, right? Um, then we, we're gonna move on and we're gonna, for different children, we're gonna pick this in different ways. Maybe for one child who gets antsy and they get anxious when they see the shoes coming out because we're gonna go someplace, we're probably not gonna have the first part of the shoe, putting the shoe on be the chaining that we're gonna we're going to go the other way and have them do the last part. So maybe we do everything and we're just going to have them pull the bow and we go, yay, what a great job that you did. And we tootle off on our way. So the child goes and they have some, you know, feeling of self-esteem and like, I did something. I did something today, right? And we're not putting pressure and putting this whole event on them, on their little shoulders. That's just too overwhelming for them to handle. But eventually when we see that they're very good at pulling that bow at the end, then we're gonna go to the next to the last. We're gonna make all the different things, but we're gonna have them pull the last little loop through. We could do it the opposite way. If it, it, again, it depends on the child. So maybe after we've gotten them to get the shoes and line the shoes up, that we have them open the shoe up and pull the laces a little bit and pull the tongue up before they can get their foot in. Now, some kids, they're not going to need to go through every step. Maybe, you know, you 
see with the child that they're very good at doing the pulling the tongue up. And so you have them put the shoe on themselves. The, the next. But it, you know, the thing with Cheney is it really is child specific. You go with the speed that the child needs, but if you see the frustration and you see the struggle, you slow it down. You slow it down and you reward, 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 and you make it possible for them to be successful. That's what moves it forward. Um, when is it too late to work on anything? It's never too late for any of us to work on anything. If what you really want to do is learn how to be a snowboarder and you're 65 and your doctor says that it's okay for you to do it, you can learn snowboarding with chaining. Uh, you really, really can. This is not just about autism. This is for all of us. If the task is too overwhelming, we can take it apart and do it in small little increments. And of course, the biggest thing about it is to make sure that we reinforce. So we're going to be talking today and asking you what is the skill that your child is hitting the wall with and can we take it apart with chaining and I already know the answer is yes we can all right so that's our jargon when somebody says we're gonna work on this skill and we're gonna do it we're gonna use chaining to make it happen and you say whether it's toothbrush or you know doing the homework or whatever it is that they've decided and probably They've decided to work on it because you as the parent have said, I don't understand why my child doesn't know how to make their bed. Or I don't understand why my kid is always late for school in the morning. Or I don't understand why we've worked on the toothbrushing and I don't know why, you know, I don't know why he can't clean his room. It's that kind of a like, why isn't this happening? We've taught it, but it's not gelling. It's not coming together. My kid doesn't seem to, you know, get it all. And there's, there's that frustration for you and the frustration for them. And the, uh, the expert says, okay, we're going to work on this and we're going to work on it chaining. Don't get frustrated when your child is only going to do one part. One of the examples that I like is putting on a shirt. Um, you know, that there are so many steps to putting on a shirt that we can do and you do it with chaining. Uh, I had a friend who said I was explaining chaining to her and, and talking about how, you know, when you put on a shirt and you lay the shirt out and then you pick up the shirt and how you have to scrunch it up to get to the neck hole. And she went, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And I said, what? And she said, I just had an epiphany. I've been trying to teach my very neurotypical three-year-old how to put on her own shirt, but that's the step I've been leaving out. And as teachers, we have to realize that sometimes we got we to gotta take it apart into itty-bitty little steps and teach the itty-bitty little steps. Does it take a while? Yes. Does it take less time to take it apart and chain it and have the child have the skill or the adult have the skill than it does to stand around and be frustrated? Yeah, it takes less time to do it the right way. And this is the right way, chaining. It's a really powerful, powerful teaching technique. All right, we always have a question for you. So can you guess what the question is for today? Today we want to know what frustrates your child. And guess why we want to talk about this? Because have you tried chaining? And if you have tried chaining and it's still frustrating your child, did we take it far enough apart? For you know, when we talk about how many steps does it take to brush your teeth? One person might say it's six steps, right? Another person might say it's 16. And what's the difference between, because if, if the child is learning quickly, maybe it's six steps. But if the child's really struggling with it, maybe it's 22 steps. It doesn't matter how many steps it is. It matters, are we getting it done? Because if it's still frustrating, we haven't taken it down enough. We gotta make more steps to it. Because the key here 
is to take it and put it in manageable bites so that it's not frustrating. So write in and tell us what, what frustrates your child. And then in the coming days, we're gonna be talking about how to chain that skill. Very, very powerful. We always have a topic of the week and I'm sure that you'll be thrilled with the topic this week. <laughs> it sounds like an ice cream flavor. Uh, but our topic this week is chunk it. Now, is this going to help our kids if we chunk things and say we're just going to do it in this amount and this amount and this amount? You betcha. It, we've, we've found that that's much more effective way of teaching our kids. But can we also apply this to our lives? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we can. I just was on the phone last night with somebody and talking about something that's just frustrating me um, and, you know, talking about, and I'm just going to be honest here, that my garage looks like uh, just a mess. Um, and I know why it looks like a mess and I know how it became a mess. So I don't need to go back over all of that. And it's reasonable why it became a mess. Um, but I just haven't been able to do it. And I was explaining to a friend, you know, statistically, they say that when you got a big task like that, that just isn't getting done, there's only really two things <laughs> have been found to be effective. One is setting aside a block of time and saying, we're doing this and we're not doing anything else and all life stops and we pull in the troops. And, you know, so that if I wanted to get my garage clean this weekend, I would invite over my three best friends that are good at this kind of thing. And I would line up, you know, cars to go to the Salvation Army. And I would do this all in one day. It would be ugly. It would be messy, but there would be the reward of it's going to get done in one day. That works, but who has that time and who has that community and who's willing to say to all your friends, I know you had other plans this weekend, but how about if everybody comes and cleans out my garage? Not really realistic for all things, right? The other thing that's been found to be really effective is to chunk it and do it in small amounts on a regular basis. <gasps> what? The truth is that they have found that if you do it in five or 10 or 15 minutes a day, whatever you actually have and say, I'm not going to take on the whole garage, but I'm going to do it in five minutes a day. I'm going to go out and I'm just going to sort through this box and that's all I'm going to do. It will take a long time, but a year from now, your garage, my garage is clean as opposed to just making myself feel bad about why is my garage such a mess. So whatever you're facing, whether it is changing your ABA provider, whether it is, you know, filing papers so that you can get funding for your ABA, whether it's looking at the situation with your bills because you're behind, because your focus has been taking care of your child with autism, whether it is, you know, solving relationships that you have with your significant other, that we don't have to take the whole thing on every time. It's just too overwhelming sometimes. But can we chunk it? Chunk it down into small, uh, small bite-sized morsels. I always love Dr. Tarbox when we talk about things and I as a parent get overwhelmed and I go, oh my gosh, that's gonna take a long time. And he says, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. We can apply this to our life. And so we're going to be giving ourselves, my, me included, some life skills this week about how do we chunk things down so that we don't have to be in the frustration and the despair and ladies and gentlemen, the overwhelm. <sighs> Taking a breath. We can do anything 
if we can take it in small morsels. Okay, so we're gonna be talking about chunking it. Some of the different things that we're gonna be doing here in the show, I believe, I'm not sure, but I believe that we're having Alex Plank from wrongplanet.net with us. We are gonna give you an update on what's happening with Avante Aquendo and that case. Of course, we're waiting for the DNA, but we're going to keep our ear to the rail and we'll break in and let you know. And we will talk about some of the new updates that have happened a little bit later on in the show. We've got a stress tip for you. And because it's flu season, last week we talked about some things to have on hand in terms of medicine. And today we're gonna to be talking a little bit about once the flu hits, some of the things that we do to help ourselves and to help the other people in our homes. So stick with us. Hello, fellow activists. Let's talk about step six, live in gratitude and give back. Have you ever noticed that it's impossible to feel sorry for yourself when you focus on your blessings? I have an exercise for you. Take out five pennies. I want each penny to represent something you're thankful for today. Now I bet not one of those pennies represented something material, but that every one of them represented someone you love or a moment you shared with that someone. There's a song by Kathy Matea called Standing Knee Deep in a River and Dying of Thirst. Sometimes we need to look at the river of blessings flowing underneath us, and then we see we're not so thirsty after all. Once you realize how fortunate you are, you can freely give back to others, and there's nothing that will make you feel more fortunate than giving to those less fortunate than you. So start your day with an attitude of gratitude, and until next time, keep the faith. Welcome back to Autism Live, and so happy to be with you here today. One of the things that we talked about last week during our healthy eating tip was about how, things that we can put in the pantry that are non-perishable that can be very helpful. We talked about how important it is to hydrate, and water is great, right? Water is absolutely essential, uh, but sometimes water doesn't sit well, um, and our kids and ourselves, that, that can be something that comes right back up with the flu. Really super important that we make sure that we get nutrients and that we, we are fully hydrated. I, I know that it was said to me many years ago by my son's pediatrician, the only time that people get into trouble with the flu, I mean, the flu is miserable, and there's nothing happy about it, um, but it doesn't have to be something that's life-threatening. The only time that it, the flu becomes even remotely life-threatening is when somebody is dehydrated. So it becomes our job as a parent um, when people in our home are having the flu to make sure that we are on top of that. And if you ever, ever feel like your child is dehydrated, that is when you go and go immediately to the phone, call your pediatrician, don't wait for them to call you back, that you make the move towards the emergency room or the emergency center that deal with children. Now, do you know how to check to see if you are dehydrated? One of the things that they'll do sometimes in the hospital, and I'm, I'm gonna guess that mine's gonna come up as dehydrated, but uh, you, you pinch some skin uh, on the back of your hand and you let go, and if it, oh, I'm dehydrated. Uh, if it snaps right back, then you're fully hydrated. So I, I need to definitely hydrate today. But uh, 
you know, there are other signs of it too. Confusion is a sign of dehydration, uh, but you know, that can go along with a high fever. If you see that the child has no tears, it's time to be emergent about that. So hydration, and if you can't get it down them at home with something like we had recharged last week, then it's time to go to the hospital and to talk about an IV. You will find that if you go to an emergency room, if you tell them right off the bat that your child has autism, that they are reluctant to put in an IV. So I will tell you, do not let, if you're, if you feel like your child is dehydrated, do not let them talk you out of IV fluids. There are a way that they can do that with your child, uh, so that your child will tolerate it. It's not the most comfortable thing for a child to, you know, but they can immobilize the arm by putting a board on it and you do what you have to do because you do not want your child to become dehydrated. Okay. So, but if you're at home and hydration is going along, right, you're doing something like recharge, uh, you're doing ice chips if they can't hold down water, um, and you're, we, we talked last week about the osicosilosum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. The homeopathic thing that really helpful uh, with the flu. You're trying things like pop, fruit juice popsicles, not giving artificial colors if you can possibly help it. But there's something else that you want to remember for the flu. It's they they say brat. This is when your child is behaving like a brat. You want to make sure that you put them on the brat diet. So each letter of the brat stands for something that will help to settle a stomach or foods that you want to introduce after a stomach has been upset. So obviously with our kids, this is going to have some special considerations, right? And if your child's allergic to something, you're going to take that right off of the brat, right? But so the B stands for bananas. Mashed up bananas is something that has a great deal of potassium, which your body needs replenished. And it's really very easy on the stomach for most, not all kids. So bananas. Uh, the R stands for rice. Obviously, we want to be very careful about what kind of rice that we use, uh, whether your child is used to brown rice or white rice, whatever, um, and making sure that it's come from a really good source. I really want to encourage you to make sure that it's organic. We know there, it's been in the news. There's a lot of arsenic, natural occurring arsenic that's on some rice. So you want to be informed about which rice you're using. The A is for apple. So applesauce in particular, I would encourage you to not use a sweetened one and again, a Again, of course, organic and some of the other applesauces that they make, they will soak the apples in lye to remove the skin. So an organic, a good organic applesauce is going to be the best possible thing for your child. They come now in those pre-sealed cups that are non-perishable. You can have it and not even have it in the refrigerator and have it in your pantry forever. Really, really good on a sore throat uh, and very easy on the stomach applesauce. If your child has a great deal of problem with salicylates, that may not be the choice for you. You might choose something else. But uh, for everyone else, applesauce is a really good thing. And the tea for brat is toast. If your child is gluten-free, there are kinds of breads that are available. My son uses... Um, it's a food for life. It is a yeast-free brown rice bread. So I'm getting the rice and the toast all in one fell swoop, and it does taste great when you toast it. It's not my favorite bread if you don't toast it, but we do want toast. We want it to be a little bit uh, crispy, not burned. That helps to soak up some of the things in the stomach and it stays down easier. Just make sure that your child chews. So hydrate, 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 and the brat diet where appropriate as you 
introduce foods into your child's system after they've been sick. In this way, we can help to keep everybody in the house as healthy as possible. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Smarty. It's January and a whole new year has gone by. To commemorate that, Autism Live and Smarty have decided to give you a template to make your very own time capsule. The materials you'll be needing are glue, a jar, photos, keepsakes, pen, and a template you can print from facebook.com slash autism live. Here's the template that I printed out from our Facebook page. Depending on the skill of your child, they can do this independently or you're going to help them fill out all the questions. Once you have finished filling out the time capsule sheet, I've left two spaces on the top. One for a school photo, one for a family photo. Feel free to glue an image there. Now that I've glued the photos onto my sheet, now I'm going to grab my jar and start filling it up with all the things I would want to remember from the year that just passed. I would say include photos, mementos, toys, things that are going to be really important to you at this time and moment that you'll be excited to see later in the future. Once you're done filling up your jar with all the things that were important to you for the year 2013, you're going to want to seal it up. And it's up to you for how long you want to keep it locked up. Time capsules are a great way to remember where you have been and where you're going. So, I hope you really enjoy this activity, and until next time, craft on, guys. Can you see me flying by your side? Welcome back. We have just gotten the first report in saying that the coroner's report has come back and the DNA has confirmed that the body that was found last week was in fact Avante Aquendo. Um, and we are told that his family has been notified. We are going to be updating you as the program continues. Uh, we have a guest that we're going to be bringing on the show that's been very close to the family to talk with us about this horrible, devastating news. But in fact, again, we have received confirmation, the first news reports are coming in, that the coroner has said that the DNA match is there, and it is, in fact, Avante Equendo. The search is over for Avante, but there are still many questions that must be answered, and we'll continue to talk about that. Stick with us. We'll be right back. When you find out you're having a boy, you always think, like, oh, he's going to play football, he's going to do this and that. And then when he's diagnosed, all those things get washed away. It's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind, you know, where is he, what is he doing, is he safe? We really didn't know what we were dealing with. I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information. I was a young mom. I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism. Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. Act Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grampuche, 
is an amazing woman, and she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable, and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Justin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The ACT grant was a total miracle. Without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog. So we're so appreciative what they've done for us as a family. Recently, ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Everybody? There you go. Got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp. And they're with people who are supporting them and they're making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart. So it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Welcome back to Autism Live. Uh, as a community, we begin to mourn as we just have received the news, if you're just tuning in, that the remains were identified as Avante Aquendo, the 14-year-old who went missing from his special needs school in Long Island City, New York, on October 4th. It was not the first time that Avante left his school. In fact, we understand that it was the fourth time that he had been able to escape from his school. In recent days, there have been reports that there is video and even audio of a security guard talking to him as he was walking out the door. 
it raises questions about our children's safety in schools, questions that we all have as we take our children to school each morning and we turn them over to hands that tell us that they're capable. It takes a great deal of faith to let our children walk on this earth separate from us and even more faith when you are a parent of a child who's on the autism spectrum and you leave them anywhere with anyone, right? It takes so much faith to be able to do that. And sometimes that faith is placed correctly. Other times when people do not have the training that they need and we don't know, right? We don't know. Uh, of course, there's a lot to grieve uh, this morning for, for all of us, but most especially for Avante's family. I can only hope that as we continue and we talk about this story, that we all take stock of what do we need to be doing as parents, what do we need to do to ensure that our children are safe in their school? What questions do we need to ask to know that the people who are interacting with our children are properly equipped and trained? And who do we need to talk to if they aren't? These are tough, tough questions, and it's tough to know the answers to them, and it's something that, it's a tightrope that we all walk on a daily basis. But if there is one thing we must do, for this family. We must never forget Avante and we must learn from this incident and do better and be better and ensure that our kids are safe when we take them to school. It is their right. It is our right as parents to make sure that they are, are safe. And I, I feel for this family, I can't even begin to imagine what they have gone through in the last few months and what they will face in the coming months. I know that they have sought legal advice and while there may be some who have questions and concerns about that i want to thank them on behalf of at least myself i cannot speak for anyone else because we ask for training for these officials in school we beg for it and we trust when we drop our kids off at the gate that it's there uh, and i think a lot of times that it becomes more about the almighty dollar and if that's what it's about, then hopefully this lawyer will sue this school 68 ways from Sunday and make them feel, they will never feel the pain of what the family feels, but something akin to it so that it causes them to train their people appropriately so that something like this never happen again. We will remember Avante and we will strive to do better. Uh, we're going to be right back after these messages. Skills is an online program that provides assessment, curriculum, positive behavior support planning for challenging behavior, and progress tracking, and it does this all in one place. The Skills Assessment and Curriculum addresses eight areas of development, which even includes advanced higher level areas such as executive functions and cognition, which pretty much makes Skills the only ABA-based set of curricula for teaching more complex skills, things like problem solving, planning, self-management, perspective taking, and even inferring and predicting others' private events. Skills is a four-step system. Step one is to add the child to your account. Step two is to start assessment. The skills assessment is the only ABA-based assessment with psychometric research demonstrating the language subscale to have excellent reliability. Every area of human functioning and typical child development from infancy to adolescence was researched, making the skills assessment the most comprehensive of its kind in the world, and we're quite proud of that. Skills is easy to use. Simply click Start Assessment and begin answering questions, or simply type in a keyword 
Find specific activities to assess and add activities to treatment. Step 3. Choose activities. Once you've completed the assessment, Skills selects from a pool of 4,000 activities categorized by age, level, and skill type to provide you with exactly those activities each child needs. Start by choosing a curriculum, then a lesson, and finally an activity. Click the information icon to view prerequisites, ages in which targets develop, examples, and IEP goals. Click the video icon to watch a short video. Once you've identified an activity you want to teach, adding activities to treatment is a snap. Step 4. Start treatment. Here you can access customizable activity lesson details, add your own customized targets and exemplars, and edit an activity status such as introducing or mastering it. You can even print handouts such as worksheets, tracking forms, visual aids, and other materials. Skills also offers multiple progress charts, mapping curriculum progress, lesson progress, and cumulative number of activities and targets mastered over time. The Skills Language curriculum is categorized by verbal behavior type so that users can identify progress for verbal operants, such as echoics, mans, tax, and interverbals. Skills is one of the only programs that provides the ability to write behavior intervention plans, or BIPs, for challenging behavior. With just a few clicks, the outline of the behavior intervention plan is written for you and ready to be printed and implemented. You can learn more about Skills today and get started by visiting us at www.skillsforautism.com or you can call us at 877-975-4559. Skills. Progress starts here. Welcome back to Autism Live. And so we soldier on because that is what we do. Uh, the news is hard today, but there are kids that we still have to focus on and help. And so we do. Uh, somebody had written in over the weekend and said, Hi, Shannon, you say you got high quality ABA for your son, which now I do 40 hours with card. My question is, how long did your son do it for? And I know he is mainstream now. And does he still get ABA? And what traits of autism does he still have at nine? I'm sorry if this is too personal, but I want to get an idea. My son is three. Thanks. God bless. No, I appreciate your question. And, you know, Nancy, uh, who joins me on Wednesdays for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we try to be as open book with you as we possibly can because people were with us. We try to be respectful of our kids uh, and what they would want people to know further on down the road. But uh, I will tell you that my son is well enough that he can tell me uh, when he doesn't appreciate me sharing his personal business. As he says, uh, we have an expression a friend of ours uses in the family about, you know, putting your business on the streets. Uh, and there are things because he is starting into those tween years that he doesn't appreciate me talking about. And I try to, you know, keep the lid on that. But within those confines, there are a lot of things that he says it's okay to talk about. So my son did start uh, quality ABA therapy when he was three and a half. Excuse me, three. He was diagnosed at two and a half. He was, it was just after his third birthday when he started. It was two weeks after his third birthday when he started early intensive ABA. It took us probably those six months, though, to ramp up to 40 hours. We also had to fight for the funding. Let's not uh, forget that that was a huge issue. We had 30 hours funded um, starting, but it's really 
next to impossible. It's not advantageous to start a, uh, a child who's three in their first week with 30 hours, right? You got to ramp up. It only took a, a little while to ramp up to the 30. And then we had to fight for the last 10. And it took us about six months to fight for the last 10. But we were able to secure the funding for that last 10. It was a fight that took a lot out of me, but it was well worth it. Um, because in that first year, my son made such huge leaps. Now, if you had asked me six months in, had he made such huge leaps, I know, because I look back at the diary that I kept that I just, I was like, man, we're never going to get there. Um, but when a whole year had gone by, I was able to look back and have them show me the different things that my son wasn't able to do and that he was able to do and say, my goodness, this is miraculous. You know, it is that drip of water that you go, nothing's happening here, but then eventually it's the Grand Canyon. Um, Okay. Now, when we signed up, we were told a minimum of two years and that probably because my son was on the more severe side at that point, that we were probably looking at a four-year commitment. And I will tell you that we did ABA for five years in the home. Now, it was not always 40 hours. So the first year he was at home and did 40 hours of intensive ABA. The second year, he was able to go to a completely included typical preschool. He had an aide, um, but he went there and it was in the morning and it, and he didn't start out going five days a week. I think initially we had him going two days and then it went to three days and then it went to four days and five days. Right. Um, but we saw that he could handle it. Right. So before we were, I think it was by October of the school year, we were in five days a week. Um, and that he was flourishing there, but he was still having, I believe it was like between 35 and 38 hours of intensive ABA in the home in addition to the preschool. So that was a really busy year. We were all exhausted at the end of that year, but at the end of that year, uh, we went through that summer and then he started kindergarten and he started kindergarten completely caught up. Uh, it took us two intensive years, but he started kindergarten caught up. There was nothing that he was behind academically. He was totally fine. He still had an aide. Uh, it was a school aide. It was no longer a card aide at that point. Um, Peter Farrig went with him the first week of kindergarten just to make sure that there was a, a, a you know, a pattern of how things were going to run. Okay. Uh, and so he did really well. So he had an aide for kindergarten. We kept an aide for first grade. He had an aide in second grade. He had less of an aide in third grade. And there was support in the classroom last year in fourth grade, but not one-on-one -on -one anymore. And then this year he started off to school with no aide and he did just fine and his grades for this last quarter were B's across the thing. So with no aid. Now I will tell you that we just changed everything, right? Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later on in the show. Um, but, um, he has not been getting ABA, but somebody, uh, you know, we had, I mean, yeah, we had therapists go and look at what was happening in the school the other day. And, and then there was a discussion that ensued with a very good friend of mine afterwards. And he said, there's more work here to be done and you can choose not to do it, or you can choose to do it. 
and it was really a wake-up call for me. So I think we are going to do a little bit more ABA in the home. I think we're going to go back and revisit and target very specific things now because job isn't done. And I have known that and I've been dancing around that and hemming and hawing about it, about not knowing how to proceed. And this weekend we put together a bit of a different plan and I am going to talk more about that. Um, but he's 10 and a half now. And so you wanted to know what traits of autism does he have at 10 and a half? He uh, will still perseverate on things uh, and not let them go. Now, sometimes it's a thing that he perseverates on like video games. He's just all about the video games. And I can say to him, hey, what do you want to have for dinner? And he'll say to me, hey, did you know that there's a new level in Gmod where you can do this, that, or the other thing? And I have to say, I asked a question first. You have to answer my question first, and then you have to do a, you know, some sort of a uh, conversation change to say, I'd like to talk about Gmod now. You don't just get to throw it into the conversation in the middle of nowhere, right? And then he'll do it, but it has to be prompted. And I think that that's, you know, maybe that's not all that uncommon, but the fact that we go back to the same subjects all the time is of concern to me. He still does um, vocal stereotomy. Um, I don't know how much he does it at school. I think we pretty much have that curtailed at school, but when he's at home with us. If he's playing something and he's happy, he makes little R2-D2 noises. Um, and we have said to him, you can make those noises. It's just only when it's appropriate. If you're in the car with us, you can make those noises. If you're at home with us, you can make those noises. But you can't make them during a test because it's going to bother the person next to you. Um, and when you're with a friend, you got to put a certain amount on hold. Now, He'll have a, like he'll do it when he's playing his video games and he'll make his little noises and whatever and he doesn't think anything of it and we don't put the kibosh on it, right? But then he has a little friend come over for a play date uh, who's neurotypical and they'll get into it and they'll be playing the game and all of a sudden Jam breaks into R2-D2 noises and we watch as the little neurotypical friend will go, what are you doing? Why are you making those noises? And then Jam is like, oh, you know, uh, it's so, uh, you know, I don't know how good our plan has been about, oh, you can do this at home because it's really become much more eye-opening. Um, he, but he also perseverates on things that will drive me batty. Last night was a perfect example that there's something in particular that he wants. He wants his little headphone mic set, um, thing that he had for like one day before I went, this is not working for me that he can play video games and talk to people and be on headphones and just be in a whole other planet and I went mm, no that's going away um and you know so he's been talking to me and massaging me for a couple of months about all the reasons you know he could be a lawyer all the reasons why he should get this back and don't get me wrong I'm thrilled that he can have a conversation and negotiate with me because there was days early on when we didn't know if he was going to be able to say mom I love you right so grateful to have these arguments with him. So grateful to have these arguments. But so we were in Whole Foods Market and I was asking him what he wanted for dinner and he starts in with, uh, well, when am I going to get my headset back? Uh, you know, you told me that if I demonstrated that I could be mature over a long period of time and I said, well, let's talk about a long period of time because a long period of time to one person, we didn't set a date. Maybe we should set a date. And, and he said, well, it's been a long time. And I said, well, maybe to you it's been a long time, but to me it hasn't been a long time. A long time can be five minutes if it's something really torturous, but a long time could be seven years. And it was full shutdown mode. He was like, seven years? You're going to make me wait seven years to get my headphone? And he was just 
pardon my French, a pissant for the next hour. And I kept saying to him, Jem, I didn't say I was going to make you wait seven years. I said a long time can be seven years, but he was gone. And it took me an hour before and all of the distractions had to be removed before we could talk it out in the car on the way home to say to him, look what happened. He also struggles with EF things, and we've we've are upping our game in terms of that. His handwriting is atrocious. Um, his ability to read is amazing. His ability to extrapolate things uh, from reading that are very high level executive function thinking is amazing. But to pick out little superfluous details on a test is almost non-existent. Um, so that in third grade, when they were in a reading group and they were talking about, uh, what, uh, what's the name of the book? It's like country mouse, city mouse. And they were talking about what's the theme of country mouse, city mouse. And Jem started talking about how it related to the industrial revolution and the fact that people went from living in one place to another and, and how it made people uncomfortable because there were different skill sets and the, the aide that was working with him was like, no, <laughs> that's not what the theme was. And you just want to like take your hair off. Um, because he's giving the, the AP high school answer in third grade and the aide was like, no. Um, but in reality, he's not going to do well on tests, uh, for a long time based on that information. Uh, so those are things that he has going on. It's not too personal. Um, I remember when my son was three and your son is three now. And I felt like we will never get there. We will never get there. And I remember thinking really early on, and I remember saying this out loud to people, could somebody please just put me to sleep? There's so much work that needs to be done, and I don't know if I'm up to it. Could somebody please just put me in a coma for eight years? And can I wake up when you're on the other side of it? And here, just the other day, we crossed, crossed the threshold of the eight-year mark. And I got to tell you, I'm so glad that I wasn't asleep for the majority of what happened in the last eight years, because I would have missed all the miraculous things. I would have missed the first time that he said, I love you, mommy. I would have missed a lot of the hard things and let me just fight with who were in our way to get what we knew was right for our child. Am I disappointed that I find that here we are eight years later and there's more work to be done? Not really. Not really. I've known for a while that that was the truth. Um, and, you know, I'm not done. So why would I think that he's done? And, and the good news is I know what works. I'm not without skills. I've, I've picked up a lot of this as we've moved along down the way and I can help him to get further. Right now, he's an odd little duck. He's a little quirky and he still struggles sometimes with making friends. Other times he can do it. But I promised him and I promised myself and I promised my husband that we would work as hard as we could to get him as hard as, as far as we could. So, you know, he's 10 and a half and we're not done. And for me, thinking about that and realizing, okay, we've got more to do. There's some peace in that. That's a quality problem, a really quality problem. So if I could go back and talk to myself as the mother of that three-year-old, I would say, hang on take care of yourself. 
take care of yourself. This is going to take a lot out of you, but hang on for the ride of your life. Keep a diary so that you can look back because in three months from now, when you're convinced that nothing has happened and you look back at the things that you were writing three months ago, one of two things is going to be true. You're either going to say, yep, no, we're still facing that. And then you say to your provider, how come? How come? Let's move this up in the priority list. Let's let's really kick this behavior to the curb because it's not working for me or for him. Or you look back and you go, look at that. That's right. Three months ago, he the biggest he was do, doing was saying two word sentences. And now he's doing seven word sentences. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. That's substantive. Uh, and now he's potty trained. It takes time and it's so, it's so horrible in the moment. It feels like it takes a lifetime, but I can tell you that while it felt like it was a lifetime for those five years that we were doing ABA and we had strangers coming in and out of our house. Now it feels like it was a long weekend. I don't know why our memory is that way, but I'll tell you, I guarantee you it'll be worth it as long as it's quality ABA and you tell me you're working with cards. So I know it is, uh, that doesn't mean you get to go on vacation. You know what? I always say that you, your team is only as strong as the weakest player on it. And you need to take stock of, okay, who are the players on my team? Am I the weakest player? And then you need to pull your game up or you need to keep track of the, you know, whoever is the weakest player and make sure that you're pulling them along with you. It takes a team and make sure that you're on the team. That's, but I, I hear you that you are, it'll be okay. It really will. And I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. So along the way, when you go, you know, what's happening here? There were times when my son would take one step forward and he'd take three back and I would go, what just happened? What just happened? Are we going to go all the way back? Cause he regressed into autism and I would freak out and go, no, no, no. We lost a skill. Stop everything. We lost a skill and people kept me sane and sat on me and said, it's working. Stay the course. It's working. So I'll be here to remind you, you're doing a good job. Stay awake, stay awake at the wheel, do everything that you can. You'll be so glad you, you'll be so proud of yourself. I promise you. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and answer more of your questions. Stick with us. consequences of where they see, oh, you know, if they did something that was supposed to be done, they get reinforced for it. Say, mm, yeah, there he goes, good job. For the first time, kids like him start to understand kind of interaction because it's very, it's made very clear in therapy. We'll start just like all therapy, which is we start with compliance. Good job, it's your turn. Really working on getting him to listen to us, listen to a few directions like stand up or come, come here. here. This is come here. All right, bud. Okay, try by yourself, okay? Come here. All right, you did it. Good job. See, that was so easy. 
the idea is that we had to get the, his attention first. And once you get a good foundation of compliance, then his therapy would be a combination of at the table where it's very clear and succinct language combined with just more play. You say, what is that? Baba. Banana, that's right, banana. What else do you see? Carrots, good talking. Then we look at language, making sure that he can make his desired requests and needs met, getting him to figure out that, hey, I'm learning these words and these words are actually useful. It teaches them the idea of communication and not using another person as a tool. Okay, sure. Here you go. And then also what's important to the family. You know, what behaviors or what areas of focus do they need help with? One goal, I don't know how we're going to get there, but when I, one of the things I've noticed that's different about him is I'll see a two-year-old in this, one of our little restaurants that we can take him, and the kid just feeds himself lunch. Now Jack feeds himself pancakes, he feeds himself applesauce, but most everything else we have to feed him, and I'm really looking forward to the day where he just eats. Okay, so that's banana by a spoon. He likes the taste of banana, he doesn't mind the texture in his mouth, but when you get the visual into it, he gets very upset. So it just strikes me that it's, it's all behavior. See, he's, getting, he's, getting, he's playing defensive ball right now. <laughs> And, and there was banana in that yogurt too, so he eats it every day. And he gets so upset, so offended. I think a lot of his issues with eating are, have developed into behavioral issues. I think he may have had texture issues, and I think he probably still has a lot of sensory issues, but I think a lot of it now is habit. I think for Jack Riley, he was very tactile defensive in his mouth. He just doesn't like the feeling of it, and then it moves into a routine. It moves into the rigidity of autism, where they only want to eat certain things. They like what is familiar, and they like to do the same things over and over. And I think the fact that he's not eating food um, where he really has to chew, that's going to affect his oral motor development, which will affect his language and how clear he is. Getting some of that muscle development going in his face and his mouth, because you're going to have to use a lot of those muscles to be able to make sounds and make words. It is Thursday night, day two of our official ABA services have kicked in and we are getting ready for bed. We, get, we run our energies off at night before bedtime. After the intensity of ABA, it's shocking that he has any energy. We think he'll sleep very well tonight. They're definitely pushing him to say sounds and do things he's not used to doing. He had a few meltdowns, but he did okay. He's gonna be so smart. Of course, that was the A word, uh, an amazing ongoing documentary being made by the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following a little boy, Jack Riley, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. And of course, in this episode, we see that he has just begun his early intensive behavioral intervention. And mom, this is just what we were talking about, where mom says, you know, okay, this, this went okay, and he's going to be really tired, and he's going to be okay, and he's going to be really smart. 
and uh, it's it's really hard. I, I don't think anybody understands how difficult it is for parents when therapy starts and all the different things that you go through. And um, it's this is a hard, hard climb. It's so, so worth it. Now, a couple of comments that you guys wrote in. Uh, somebody commenting on the Avante Equendo, and of course, if you're just tuning in this morning, just briefly about 40 minutes ago, they identified the remains positively that it is Avante Equendo. Sad, sad, devastating news for all of us. And somebody wrote in and said, everyone just needs to hug their kiddo a little bit harder and longer tonight. It's just so sad for that family. And someone else said, I'm thinking of the family and I feel for them. A great speech therapist in the AAC passed away this weekend more loss. Now, uh, somebody had written in and asked me about my son and about his journey with ABA and somebody wrote in and I appreciate this comment. They said, everyone is different. Please don't judge your own child to her child. And I think that that's really important. And I, uh, I believe me, I appreciate you saying that because I offer my experience here, but our kids are all different. And you know, if you watch the show that, that I tell you that our, our expectations we always have to put in the back seat. We don't know exactly what's gonna happen and no one can tell you exactly what's gonna happen, but we do know one thing, that if we have a child who is under the age of five and we get quality ABA and it's between 30 and 40 hours a week, we are going to see progress. So when I say to you, you're doing the right thing and <clears throat> it's gonna be amazing and the things that you are gonna see are gonna be amazing, I can say that. And I can say it without fear that I might be wrong because we know that across the board, whether your child, no matter where your child is starting out, it's, you know, it's, it's like a race against themselves and we don't judge by what other people have going on and no two kids are going to have the exact same path at all ever. Right. But we do know that there will be progress. So when I talk about that and that you will be so thrilled and you will be so happy that you have invested in this time, that is what I'm saying. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to clarify because our children are going to be very different and their responses are going to be di very different, but that doesn't change the fact that science has shown us very clearly that there will be progress and that it will be substantive, whatever the progress is. And I, and I go back to, um, Years ago, I saw a great documentary that isn't available widely, but you know, the original LOVAS experiment that was done in 87 that started us all on this path of investigating ABA and, and whether it's effective, which by the way, has been replicated over a thousand times now. And if anybody tries to tell you that ABA has not been shown to be effective, it's old, old, old thinking on their part. And we need to help to educate them and move them forward so that they can get the help and support that they need for an individual who's on the autism spectrum in their life. Um, but you know, there was the original study that started everything. It has to start somewhere, right? And it started with Lovas with the young autism project. And I had heard about that study certainly, but I had never seen any interviews with where did those kids go, right? Where, you know, this is 1987. So these kids are adults and out walking in the world. And where are they? How come, you know, if it's, and I've heard people say, well, if it's true, where are they? And why aren't they trotting them out for everybody to see? Well, because they're leading rich and full lives and that's not what they want for themselves. But there was a documentary that was made years after it was like probably 10 years after, I want to say, when I might've been even later after that, where they caught up with three of the kids from the Lovas original young autism project. 
and they would not identify the children for us so they would show us the kids uh, well that's not entirely true uh, two of the different kids that were quote unquote according to the uh, to the report recovered that they no longer qualified for an autism diagnosis they showed us those kids but they showed one of them with two other buddies so there were three kids one who had been in the Lovas experiment and two who had not been just neurotypical his buddies and you spend an afternoon hanging out with them and you can't identify which one it is which is so effective I love that about this documentary you go okay I can't see the difference between these kids and then they show you a child who was younger with his buddy and you can't tell which one of the kids is the kid who at some point had the autism diagnosis you can't at all now the third young man that they showed from the video was one of the kids because you know if you look at the study there's the pie chart of the kids who recovered the kids who did remarkably well and made significant gains but didn't get to the point of losing their diagnosis and then there was a third category of kids that made gains but they didn't progress as far as the kids in the in the middle group even and i always wondered about those kids well so you know was that a waste of time for their parents did they you know they didn't have the results that everybody else had so what happened in those cases and they show one of the cases and what they found was that a lot of the kids who were in that third group who didn't make what they called significant gains a lot of times you'll hear people say well you know some kids don't make significant gains uh which i would argue is completely not the truth because what's significant to you and what's significant to me those kids all were potty trained there was not a single kid who was still in diapers and those kids were all you know loving productive members of society none of them were violent you know what I mean um, and by the way all of those kids had a another diagnosis in conjunction with autism um, which is a whole other topic that we could talk about but they showed a mom with her son who was in that third category of the kids who didn't make the significant gains and she talks and says uh how offended she is when people talk about the insignificant gains because before the aba treatment he was hitting his head on the floor non-communicative not a part of the family um he needed one-on-one -on -one care all of the time and if something didn't go his way violent and no way of communicating what he needed and as a result of doing the ABA keep in mind this was somebody who was in the not significant gains potty trained speaking you know I wouldn't I wouldn't argue you know that he was a, a conversationalist and gonna be a speaker but was able to put together sentences and say this is what I want and I love you and and not all kids get that point with verbal speech but kids who have intensive ABA have the ability to communicate with a device or uh, sign or whatever that's core is to be able to communicate and how could you call that insignificant hurts my feelings when people call that insignificant um, and in any case they were showing and she said you know we didn't think he was gonna be part of the family we couldn't get in the car and go someplace as a family and now we are a family uh, you know he has jobs and he has chores and he has a paper route and he uh, sets the table and he hugs us and he is a part of our family forever 
Now, to me, there is nothing insignificant about that. But all of our kids have different outcomes. All of our kids have different journeys. And it's not easy when they're three to look at them and go, this is what the outcome will be. Uh, too many times other people have looked at three-year-olds and said, you know, this child, I, I, I refer to uh, Bryce Myler, whose son, uh, Bryce works in the contract department for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And when her son was three, she was told that he was going to be big and he was going to hurt her and she should put him in a home, that that's what she should do and that she should say goodbye to him and then write him off that her life was going to be better if she did that. And Bryce, if you've met Bryce, that just wouldn't have been possible for Bryce. And Bryce started early intensive ABA, quality ABA. It was also with CARD. Her son is featured in the film Recovered because he was one of the kids who recovered. I've met her son. He's like 20, 21 now, goes to college, has a job, is sometimes the employee of the month at his job. And we actually, today's a good day. I don't know if we have it um, up in a place that we can show it a little bit later on in the show but there is a video on YouTube of this young man giving a speech to over a thousand people at the card 25th gala, uh, where he talks about how he feels about all the help that was given to him. This was a young man that when he was three, they told his mother, forget it. He's not going to be one of the kids that makes the substantive. And, and Lovas was already published when that happened. And uh, it's criminal. We cannot judge at three. All of our kids are going to be different. But all of our kids deserve the quality ABA. All of our kids deserve that time. And if they have it, all of our kids will make substantive progress. It will look different in all of them. And please know... You know, I, when I'm talking about my son, it is not to tell you that that is what will happen with your children ever, um, but to tell you that you will survive it and that it's worth it. Absolutely. But thank you for reminding us all of that. We're going to take a break and we're going to be back and we're going to talk a little bit about how we stave off the overwhelms and reduce our stress. Stick with us. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. I'm going to talk a little bit about intensity. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with that. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back. You know, from time to time, we like to give you a stress tip, things to help us all to deal with the overwhelm. And I mentioned that our entire topic this week, we're talking about chunk it. 
that when things get too big, it's time to take it into small, small morsels. And I mentioned that we can do this with our kids, but we absolutely can do that with ourselves as well. So if you think about what are you facing right now that seems more overwhelming than anything that you then you can imagine or something that's hanging over your head that you've been saying, oh, I'm going to do that. It could be filling out the papers for your child to be eligible for Medicaid in your state. It could be just doing your taxes so that you can be able to apply for funding for different things. Um, all of these things, you know, one of the first things that we have to do is acknowledge that it's overwhelming and why it's overwhelming. I think um, a lot of times we get into this uh, situation where we judge ourselves before we've begun and say, you know, I should just be able to do this. And it's, sh- you know, it's obviously not difficult for that person. And so why can't I just do that? You know, so-and-so already has their taxes done. And so I should be able to do it too. Well, I don't know what so-and-so has on their plate, right? And nor do you. So the first thing that we want to do is admit that you got a lot of things going on right now. A lot of things going on. And some things that are in the forefront, that are right there and visible, like your child might be engaging in a challenging behavior. And other things that are like in the middle that you're like, oh, what am I going to do about that? And then there's stuff in the way, way back like worrying about what happens when I die, like, you know, worried about, oh, you know, uh, we decided not to do this a year ago because we didn't have the money for it, but eventually we're going to have to do it, whatever it is. Uh, you know, on Saturday we had to replace three tires on my husband's car. And, you know, while it was not in the forefront of my mind that that was coming up, it certainly was somewhere in the Netherlands, right? (laughs) In the recesses of my subconscious, somewhere there was that thing of, uh, we're coming up on time when, you know, we're going to have to invest some money in the cars again. So, you know, all of these things are going and, and going and going and give us monkey brain. It's really important to start to chunk things into things that you can do something about and things that you can't do something about. That as you go through your day and you say, what's kicking my keister today? And you say, is this something that I can change? Is there, can I, is there any action that I can take? Maybe I can't fix it today, but is there some aspect of this that I could take some action on this today? And sometimes, you know, taking the smallest little action can sometimes start a ball rolling so that months or even years down the road, something comes to fruition. Uh, you know, I think about getting a college education, that it starts with making the decision to look at colleges and apply to colleges, right? And then it has that sort of snowball effect that suddenly, you know, you've been accepted to the college and they send you paperwork and, you know, it's just these little steps along the way. So eventually you're starting and you're going to a class and it feels like graduation is a long way away. And somehow the day comes and you arrive and you go, oh my goodness, look what I did. Uh, and I was just walking along the way. I have a friend who climbs mountains who says, you know, when you stand at the base of the mountain, it looks huge and it looks overwhelming. But once you get on the mountain and are on the path, you can no longer see the tip usually, and you're just walking. And eventually, if you keep walking in the right direction, key, right, you get there. You get there. Uh, And some people walk straight up, uh, which is scary, and other people walk around the mountain in a curly cue, but you get there eventually if you keep walking in the right direction. So we, we offer up today this idea of chunk it for yourself as well. 
if it's if what's kicking your keister right now is teaching your child a, a certain skill that helps them to get through a particularly frust frustrating part of the day chunk it for yourself chunk it for them take it down into small little increments so that it's manageable you'll make progress it's gonna feel like it's slow but you'll get there and you know I always use the example of Regis Philbin I remember watching Regis Philbin years ago when he must have been in his 60s and he said I'm gonna start taking piano lessons and everybody laughed and he said well I talked about doing it in my 40s and it seemed preposterous then but you know I, if I had done it in my 40s I would know how to play the piano by now so I'm gonna start in my 60s and I'll know how to play the piano by the time I'm 80 well Regis Philbin plays in concerts now plays the piano in concerts now because he started on a path in his 60s where he was going to learn how to play the piano he could have just kept saying it's ridiculous you know it's going to take so much time my question is what else are we doing that's worthwhile if if what you want to do is teach your child how to pack their backpack and get ready to go to school and be on time you know maybe it's going to take you six months maybe it's going to take you a year to chunk it up but then in a year you'll be done and it will actually have happened and you'll have a happy child and you'll be a happy child or you could just be upset about it and let them be frustrated and be late for the next year and a year from now you're still in the same place you haven't learned anything and everybody's miserable I know I participate in this kind of uh, action frequently but when I remember oh I don't have to do that I can empower myself I can reduce my stress because I'll tell you you know the problem isn't solved immediately but once we take action what happens to the stress it goes we want it to get down even further but once we take action, it's like we've occupied that part of our brain that says, I should be doing something about this. I should be doing something about it. And when you start on the path, you know, you go, I should be, oh, right, I am doing something about it. And our stress goes down. So chunk it. Chunk it, whatever it is. Make a pledge to yourself today that you're going to find something that's kicking your keister, kicking your kid's keister, and chunk it. And then write to us and let us know what you did and how it worked out for you and what it did for your stress levels. We'd love to hear from you. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to be back after these messages. When Maddie was diagnosed, I'll be honest, I was very ignorant on what autism was. I knew that autism was basically something that hit boys at the age of two to three and shut down. And sometimes you think of the typical Rain Man uh, movie. Um, and with Maddie, she was doing all the same signs and symptoms of a, of a typical child with autism spectrum disorder. Stand up. She didn't even acknowledge us coming into the room. Um, she had barely any eye contact. Um, she didn't interact with her sister. She didn't really do anything. She just basically lined up her toys and that was about it. We have a team of seven volunteers, or, or eight now, we have eight volunteers, including my husband and I, and I'm the team leader, and so I do all the curriculum and get everything ready each week. Jana was downstairs until 11 o'clock at night working on curriculum, going through two different textbooks. And then we, as a group, meet on Monday nights, and we would go through what the curriculum was from Jana. And a lot of times we would go, well, how exactly do you do that? How do you sit her at the table and, and do this trial base? Well, what skills has done for us, it's, it's taken that away 
from Jana trying to figure out the curriculum for one. She can go down, or on our, even our laptop, and she can sit down and through all these questions, it comes up with the different programs. At least for me, it was a relief off my shoulders. I was worried that I might be missing something, um, missing a curriculum that maybe she needs to know, where skills, they have every, every possible thing your child needs to know from zero to seven, they have a program for that. What noise is this? Every program that we did with her, I knew it was specific for what she needed to learn. Because before skills, it was a lot of, okay, well, is that really age appropriate for a two-year-old? You know, because it's not generalized. It's anywhere from zero to seven. This is what your child needs to know in most, in most manuals you'll find. Um, but for this, okay, yep, she should be learning this. And no, she's not four yet. She doesn't need to know that yet. We are so fortunate that Jana was able to attend a conference put on by CARD that opened the door for skills and that um, there's no looking back for us. We started using the program in November and it seemed like by January something just clicked and she has completely kind of came out of her fog that she was in for quite a while. I have never read a documented case on any child that has not benefited anything from applied behavior analysis and uh, now with this new skills and being you know like the e version of ABA I can't imagine it doing anything harmful to their child it, it's nothing but exponential growth for us to see her now it is it just blows us away I mean, we call her our little miracle child because um, in seven months time she has just blossomed into this normal functioning child and suddenly we joke about it all the time like suddenly we have twins if you're even thinking about doing it do it because the absolute worst thing you can do is do nothing at all and even if you use this program and it's just a single mom or a single dad working in the evenings with their child this program is going to benefit them it's it's going to show you where they are it's going to show you where they need to go and it's going to show you what skills and how to get there it is an online book on how to help recover your child. Welcome back to Autism Live. We ask a question every day, and our question today was, what frustrates your child? And we ask this specifically because we're talking about chaining and chunking, and how we can use chaining and chunking to make things less frustrating as a teaching technique. This is just a way of teaching something. Not expecting somebody to be able to do the whole overwhelming task at one time, but taking apart into little segments and putting it together so that you get the whole skill. So uh, some of the different things that you guys wrote about, they're, you know, they maybe don't fit into that category. It's okay, they're good to talk about. So somebody said, anything can change his mood. And we see a lot of times that you know kids on the autism spectrum can uh, be a little on the moody side. Uh, that it can seem like there, nothing happened and then all of a sudden there was a change of mood. But we're gonna talk a little bit about how we become Sherlock Holmes in just a second. Uh, Tom Hibben, who we're gonna have on the show tomorrow, 
who's a wonderful, wonderful blogger and a great dad, uh, wrote it and said his dad, <laughs> that his son's uh, most frustrated by him. Uh, so we'll talk about that with him tomorrow on the show. Some uh, from Asperger's Autism and Fathers said, um, lots and then nothing can frustrate. So very interesting and quixotic answer. Somebody else says, not getting to the next level on his video game, LOL. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, from Autism Will Not Define My Son, she says that he just turned four and what frustrates him the most is the word no. But hey, I'm almost 40 and I too get frustrated when I heard the word no and then she laughs. Uh, none of us like to hear no. And I love that attitude towards it that, you know, when you think about what frustrates your kid, is it the same thing that frustrates us? Well, you know, then we got to look at it with a, with a different set of eyes, right? Someone else who says waiting, sharing, and the dog not wanting to play. Okay, that's a bit of a bummer. We'll talk about that too. Somebody says having to get dressed. And then there's writing, but she goes on to say we use different oils and that helps to calm. And somebody else who says homework. Okay, so how can we apply chaining to some of these different things here? Or what, in fact, can we do about it? Um, because some of these things are not about uh, necessarily building a skill, but there's just a behavior going with something, and so do we want to pair something with it. Um, okay, let's start with not getting to the next level of his video games. And I know this is something that my son gets really, really, really frustrated about, and it used to be that there was a, you know, bang on the console or whatever, and that there would be this anger and aggression. Um, now we have said to him, and everybody needs to set up their own parameters about what's okay for your child. Here's an okay w a way to exhibit frustration and here is not. And that's going to be very personal to your family. I've got a friend who's got a child who's not on the autism spectrum and she bought him a pair of bongo drums and he gets to go in and play his bongo drums and just yell right to get out his frustration boys have testosterone and they need to be able to you know vocalize or whatever to be you know sometimes and, and look uh, girls also you, you know you have days where i think for girls it tends to run to the cry uh, but not always sometimes a girl needs to to be frustrated too and a lot of times having a physical outlet for it is really really helpful um but you know, helping our kids to be able to punch punching bags or punch pillows or something like that, giving them a way that's acceptable for your family and your style of life to have the frustration so that it doesn't come to hurting themselves or hurting other things, right? Um, but then having a built-in stopgap that when you get a certain level of frustrated that it is when you must take a break and building in the reinforcer for that. So that if, for instance, um, I love, uh, you know, I don't sew very much anymore, but years ago there was a pattern that I had that was put up by a very specific company uh, that is just the best patterns ever made. Uh, and if you want to know what it is, you can write to me. Um, but in any case, uh, so I was trying to make something that was really difficult and I'm following the pattern very religiously and I get to a point in the pattern where I'm starting to feel the frustration because I'm feeling like, ugh, you know, and it's said in the pattern, this is the point in which we encourage all of you to stop. Uh, if you've made it this far, you're doing really well, but we want you to stop and do something nice for yourself, whether it's go pour yourself a glass of wine or take a few minutes and go watch your favorite television program, go play with your kids. But we don't encourage you to go from this step to this step without a break because you're going to be too frustrated. So you must take a break. Loved it. 
loved it that it was written into the pattern. If only we, we wrote that into a video game that once things get a little bit difficult, because you know, the truth of the matter is I went and I took a break and I came back the next day and I was able to progress on that pattern faster than if I had tried to just barrel through, right? So we need to teach this skill to our children about recognizing when we are at a point when we need to take a break. They're not going to know to begin with, but when you see it starting to boil, you can interrupt. Yes. Is your child going to, you know, quietly lose their mind because they're in the middle of the video game and they're feeling frustrated already. And you know, you say, well, we got to stop. Uh, yeah, you might get met. <laughs> <laughs> with a not happy camper. So make sure that whatever you're interrupting them doing, that you are completely calm, that you don't buy into their frustration and that you've got something really preferred to go to. So if it, you know, if you see it coming and you know that you have their favorite treat, um, and it's ready at the dining room table and you come in very quietly say, you know what, this is great and you're doing a great job at your video game and I'm going to let you play some more of your video game in just a few minutes, but it's time for us to take a break. And then they might whine, which we're not going to attend to the whine. You know, you may need to go so far as to very quietly turn the, the screen off, not the video game, because then there'll be full meltdown mode, right? But the screen off. And, and you might even say, it's not something that we're going to talk about. I need you to come down and have the snack. And after you've had the snack and had a five minute break, then I'm going to let you come up and play. And then you don't attend to whatever histrionics happen after that. You're sending that message of, you know, we are, we are going to do this and we're going to do this in this way. Um, and so then, you know, not that day, but maybe a little bit later, maybe at bedtime, you have a conversation about, you know, we all get frustrated, label it for them. That's what you were feeling when you were playing your game. And sometimes when we're frustrated, it's important to take a break. Some people take a break and have a cup of coffee. Some people take a break and have a drink of water, you know, give examples of the things that you want. And, and if, depending on the, your child's receptive language, you can also talk about the fact that some people don't take a break. And then what happens is that they get so angry that, you know, they act out and they get in trouble or whatever, you know, you base that on whatever, but to teach the skill of taking a break before it gets to boiling point, really good thing that we can all do for our kids and then help them. It may take us their entire teen years, but if we get to the point where they are adults and they know how to handle frustration, we'll have done something amazing, won't we? Uh, as far as the no goes, <laughs> that's a rite of passage. When kids get frustrated when they hear the word no, that's amazing. That's a sign that they're doing really well. That means that they understand what the no is and they understand and they have desires for what they want to do. That's usable because uh, that's what's going to help to lead to some negotiation later on. Um, that, you know, maybe you want to think about teaching some phrases, uh, that they can learn to, to begin to negotiate, like, you know, can I have one more minute? Um, so that I know it's a really dicey thing teaching them that no doesn't always mean a hard and fast no, but, uh, it's a really good sign that he's frustrated with the no. And I, th I know, you know, that. Uh, the not wanting, the dog not wanting to play. Oh gosh, we talked about this on the show the other day about how hard my husband and I work and have worked over the last almost two years to try to get our dog to find our child reinforcing. Um, and so, you know, you do what you have to do, whether it's you put 
chicken broth on your child's fingers, uh, knowing that the dog is somebody who just licks and doesn't bite, by the way, uh, and that you have the child feed the dog and feed the dog their favorite treat, um, you know? so that the dog finds the child reinforcing. We have ways of doing this. Um, and for everything else, you know, reinforcement is really the key that, um, you know, I don't particularly love getting up and getting dressed in the morning either. I'm just going to be honest. I'd rather stay in my pajamas all day long. Um, and so, but my, I know every morning that once I'm up and dressed, then I can have breakfast and I love breakfast. So, uh, you know, finding what the thing is, whatever the task is that happens after getting dressed and setting that up is it doesn't happen before getting dressed. If, uh, if I let myself have breakfast every morning before I got dressed, oh, heaven help us. Heaven help us. I'd be coming to work in my pajamas. In any case, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with more of the show. And now's a great time to write in questions if you have them. Stick with us. Another parent wants to know, how do I find out that one thing that my kid is really good at? Now, when they get older, they're going to kind of divide into two groups. You're going to have the kids that become verbal, mm -hmm. and then you're going to have the kids that are nonverbal, got many more problems. Maybe they still have epilepsy or some other problem. And they kind of need different services. And the ones that get verbal, they, what we need to be doing with them is develop the area of strength. And that area of strength often will show up around third or fourth grade, sometimes earlier. But my ability in art showed up when I was in third and fourth grade, and it was always encouraged. And I was encouraged to do lots of different kinds of art. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would have just been endless horse heads. You know, mother would say to me, why don't you draw a picture of a beach or, or something else? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, you, you want to broaden it out. If the kid's fixated on trains, let's teach reading with trains, math with trains. Tap into that fixation, mm -hmm. but develop the area of strength. Some kids, it's going to be art. Other kids, it's going to be mathematics. So you've got a third grader who's smart in math, and he wants a sixth grade math book. Give him the sixth grade math book. Don't bore him with the baby stuff but that kid's going to have trouble with reading because the common thing is the uneven skills. And then you have the kids that are the history buffs, and these kids are often really good at writing skills. You tend to have uneven skills, but tap into their fixations and use those to motivate, but broaden. If he likes trains just watching them, well, we're going to take that interest in trains to do some math with it, or maybe read about the history of the railroad. You know, tap into that motivation. One of the things I really want to talk about is we got to stretch these kids. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about physically stretching them, mentally stretching them, stretching them to do new things. I'm seeing too many kids that haven't learned how to shop, how to order food at McDonald's. So you start out. Let's say it's ordering food at McDonald's or at Burger King. So you take them up there and they watch you order it. And then eventually you go in when the store's not busy and they have to go up and order it while you're sitting at the table watching and then you coach them. And then eventually they can go in the restaurant themselves. I can remember I was scared to go to the lumber yard alone and buy lumber. My mother made me go and she knew I could do it. I had done, bought lumber with her many times. But there's a tendency to want to have somebody else there when they do it and they've got to learn how to do things alone. And you gradually have got to kind of push it. You've got to stretch them. And I'm seeing too many kids not learning basic skills. Saw a 19-year-old honor student that actually knows how to drive that had never shopped in the grocery store all by herself. That is just ridiculous. You know, you've got to stretch them. You push too hard, they're going to be panicked. And, and, and the other thing is no surprises. No surprises. I knew all about the ranch long before I went there. I talked to Ann. But if you don't stretch these kids, they don't grow. 
Welcome back to Autism Live. Somebody had written in over the weekend and said, how to make an intervention plan? What can I do in the crises? Um, so I'm going to answer the first question first. How do you make an intervention plan? Well, a year ago, I would have said to you, okay, the first thing you need to do to make an intervention plan is you got to call and find a BCBA, a board certified behavior analyst. They're going to come and do an FBA, a functional behavior assessment on the behavior. They're going to observe your child. It may take as little as two hours of observation and interviewing of you and other people involved with the child. Could take as much as 30 hours of observation, depending on the behavior. Then they're going to sit down with a team of people, um, um, involved in the child if it's happening in the classroom it's gonna happen with the classroom teacher and everybody involved with the IEP and you if it's happening at home they're gonna be they're gonna sit down with you and any of the therapists that are working with the child anybody who has interaction with the child and they're gonna come up with a plan that involves how to prevent the behavior from happening before it happens how to teach skills as um, and teach a replacement behavior to take the place of the behavior that was happening before so that it's functional and what what to do consequences for what happens afterwards and it's going to be this big lengthy thing and you really can't even begin to come up with an intervention plan that's going to be effective unless you got the BCBA on board through the whole thing which you know is still a way you can do it and it's still like you know the like crazy effective way of doing things but it's not inexpensive and not everybody has easy access to a BCBA so for everybody that may not be the alternative now if you if your child already has an ABA provider and your and or it's happening at school I would still encourage you to say to the BCBA on staff I need you to do an FBA and then we're gonna sit down and make the behavior intervention together right um, but let's imagine that you don't have access to that you haven't started with an ABA provider yet and you're saying look this sounds like a really good thing I want to do an intervention and I don't have access to a, a BCBA well we have been talking the last couple of weeks because it just has launched the skills behavior intervention plan builder and um, it allows you to take a really good stab at all the things that we just were talking about. There is something called the CIFA, uh, and I'm only showing you where you can go to um, find this behavior intervention plan builder. It is a part of skills, but you can buy it separately now. If you're not interested in the whole curriculum and skills and you just want to do the behavior intervention plan builder, you can do that. Um, there is a component of it now that's relatively new that is the CIFA component. It's the card indirectional functional assessment. So it, it asks you some questions about what's happening to help you to determine a reasonable expectation of what the function of this behavior is. Now we talk about the function of a behavior all the time on the show, but if you're new, I want to go over some very basics. Whatever behavior that anybody is engaging in, whether it's a behavior we like, or it's a behavior we don't like, there's a reason for it. There's a function to that behavior. It's serving a purpose. It's creating a paycheck of some kind. It's not always clear what the paycheck is, but there are four usual suspects of paychecks. One is attention, that you get attention when you do this. So, you know, for the child who is having incredible fat flatulence in the classroom and they're just, you know, constantly, uh, and you go, you know, what's happening here? Is it possible? One of the questions we want to ask is what's happening as a consequence of this flatulence? Is it getting them attention? And it may be bad attention. It may be that all the kids are like, oh, I don't want to sit by him. But for this individual child, that may be enough attention to make it 
they might be finding it pleasurable in some way. And if you doubt that negative attention can be pleasurable, all you have to do is pick up a tabloid and see some of the behaviors that people engage in so that they can get on the front of the tabloid right? Case closed. Okay. So attention is certainly one of them. Another usual suspect is getting access to someone or something. If I really want, uh, to get access to mom and mom has put me in the daycare at the gym so that she can go work out. And I know if I bite the teacher, she's going to call my mother and bring her off to, off of the elliptical and have her come in to talk to me. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like it's working for me. I want access to mom. Quickest way to do that. Bite her. Mom's here. Mom's, you know, yelling at me, but I got mom and I'm, I got what I wanted. Happy camper. Uh, okay. Uh, another usual suspect is that there's something about it that is automatically reinforcing. So, um, when we see kids who are, you know, rocking or, um, they're biting on their own hand, sometimes, not always, sometimes there's something about it that there is a component that either is removing, uh, something that is painful to them or that is giving them pleasure on some level. It's calming them down. It's helping them to stay awake or stay aware. There's some aspect of it that is reinforcing. We see the people who click their pens or people who, you know, bounce a leg constantly, you know, those people who are in the, you know, someplace and their leg is constantly bouncing and you go, could you just sit still? There's something about it that's giving them a paycheck. We can't discount that and just go, just stop it. They're, they need that paycheck. We're going to find them another way to get it. And then, of course, the last one is escape. We're wanting to get away from something else. Now, could it be a combo platter of uh, any of the four, you betcha. Uh, absolutely can, and we want to be clear about that. But the intervention for each one of those things looks vastly different. If somebody's trying to escape something and I do the intervention for attention, I'm not going to be effective, right? So we have to figure out what the function of the behavior is first. And the CIFA component of the behavior intervention plan builder can help us to do that. Okay. But once we know what the function of the behavior is, now let's say that your child is at school and they're engaging in this behavior, uh, whatever it is. Um, it could be that they're spitting on their desk and drawing things in the spit, right? That's something that we've heard people write in about there. So something's happening in the classroom and they're getting the spit on their fingers and they're drawing designs on the desk. So what do we do? We call the, uh, the school, the school sending home notes saying this is a problem, right? Whenever school sends home a note, we write back and go, what are you doing about it? Have you got somebody looking at the behavior? Do we know why the behavior is happening? These are reasonable questions. Ask for an FBA, a functional behavior assessment. Ask who the BCBA is and ask them to do the FBA on it. Once we have the function of the behavior, all we have to do is get online and go to the behavior intervention plan, the skills behavior intervention plan. It has a place where we can plug in the function of the behavior. It's we, it just, it's fill in the blank, right? And sometimes it's drop down mem menus. So it asks me, what is the targeted behavior? And I would write down salivating on the desk and drawing in it, right? And then I would put it in which category. Um, it has a drop down menu that it asks me. Let me see here. Oops, I'm in. 
I'm using the mouse, but I'm on the, the pad. Uh, some of the categories, this is aggression, disruption, elopement, hoarding, inappropriate sexual behavior, is it lying, non-compliance, obsessive behaviors, pica, self-injurious behavior, stealing, stereotypy, tantrums, teasing, bullying, or other, right? I would make an argument if what I'm saying is that the child is um, drawing it on the desk, uh, depending on when it's happening and how it's, it might be stereotypy. Uh, no, 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 not stereotypy. Excuse me. It could be that it's, um, non-compliance. I might put it under other, right? You know, we're going to help ourselves as much as we can. Everything isn't going to fit within all of those categories. That's why there is, uh, other there, right? And we're going to put in the goal that we want to have this stop and how we're going to measure it. And then we're going to answer a bunch of questions. Um, it's going to take us through several different categories, but it's going to ask us uh, to first come up with an inter intervention based on the function of the behavior. We might find that, you know, drawing on the desk and doing this is because when we do it, the teacher comes over and says, Miguel, why are you doing that? And now we get the teacher's attention, right? That may be what it is for one child. What we might see for another child is they really don't like the subject that we're talking about. So they're going to tune out. I'm going to escape from the math lesson and I'm going to be doing this, right? Vastly different intervention. Um, uh, we might find that for another child, they just like the feel of the spit on their hand and it's what they want to do all the time. It's going to be a different, but we're, whatever the function of the behavior is, we have to give them something that takes the place of it. So for the child who wants attention, what we're going to do, and it's going to show us this in the BIP builder, it's going to give us several different choices, but one of our choices for attention is always going to be to give them attention before the behavior happens. We know scientifically that that's something that's very effective. So if we see that the function of the behavior is attention, we're going to make sure we're going to have a little timer as the teacher, and we know that Miguel, if we don't give him attention in five minutes, he's going to do this. So at four minutes, we're going to go over and give him some attention before he's got to do this. We're going to shower him with attention, tell him what a great job he's doing so that the five minute mark comes and he doesn't do it. And eventually over time, we're going to go to four and a half minutes. And then we're going to go to five minutes. And we're also going to work on some other things as well. But if what he needed was attention, we're going to make sure that he gets the attention appropriately, right? We're going to teach him how to appropriately request attention so that he can raise his hand and say, hey, teacher, can I ask you a question about something? And he gets the attention for it, right? It's going to be much more effective than spitting on your hand and drawing on the desk. But if Miguel is doing this because he's bored, because he wants to escape from what's happening in the classroom and it just, you know, it feels good and he's bored, we got to give him something else to do uh, and we got to engage him more. So that if we see that after four minutes of instruction he gets bored, we got to have something, and it may be that he needs something tactile that doesn't involve spit. Um, I talked the other day about a student in my classroom that we gave him crayons and paper and said, draw what we're talking about. And it was enough to keep him engaged in the classroom. Um, you know, we're going to come up with something that, you know, has that tactile feel to it. Uh, maybe we give this child a little square of carpet. And so when he's feeling anxious that he can draw something in the carpet and then we're going to slowly fade that away to something else. But at least, you know, we're not talking about bodily fluids on the table. Uh, right. We're going to work on, but the behavior intervention plan builder is going to walk us through 
our different choices to make sure that we get an antecedent modification, something that we do beforehand that's effective so that we're not going to see the behavior happening as much that goes hand in hand with what the function is. We're going to come up with a replacement behavior and we're also going to have a strategy in mind for consequences, right? And then we're going to be consistent across the board that when this happens, if he starts to spit on the desk and spit on his hand, that we all have exactly the same reaction based on the function. If he's going for attention, we are not going to give the attention, but we're not going to allow him to get to play in this bit, right? Um, okay, so all of those things are how we build the intervention. Do we build the intervention in the middle of the crises ever? No. We just don't. We can't. When you're in the middle of the crises, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. First thing is that we got to make sure that everyone is safe. That includes you, that includes the child, and it includes everyone else that's around. After we make sure that the people are safe, then we have to ensure that the uh, the stuff is safe, right? All the different stuff. So if you're if the child is starting, to, let's say that the child is uh, violent and they you know just got that motion going and they're just on a tear right or they're swiping things away we're first going to make sure that they're that they're okay and that everybody is okay maybe we have to move other people away but then we're going to clear away anything that they could potentially break because that can be reinforcing in and of itself if you know if somebody picks up a dish and throws it there there can be something very satisfying about that so we want to make sure that the stuff is safe as well too um, that can be really difficult and you want to work with specialists, but as much as you can, my son, um, would have tantrums in the grocery store. And there was one day when he turned the cart over, he was five and he turned the shopping cart over and I was mortified, right? I was reaching for a dairy product in the dairy case and he you know that and there were there were people with a brand new baby in a cart right next to us and it didn't quite hit their cart but my life flashed before my eyes right um so you got to be mindful when these kinds of things are happening t for safety whatever it is that you secure and and sometimes you have to make the perimeter come in uh, so that they can't be running out the door right you got to secure the area and then the, the next most important thing that you really need to do is make sure that you keep a calm facade. And notice I say a facade because I tell you as a parent, been there, done that. A lot of times that's all you can do is the facade and that's hard work. But on the inside, you're losing your mind, right? You're freaking out completely. But the facade is that nothing is happening because we don't want to inadvertently reinforce whatever the crisis is by having a reaction and sometimes our freak out is very very rewarding to them so we hold our countenance uh we find that deep safe place somewhere deep down inside where we hang out and we're and we become the scientific eye who's noting and watching uh, you know, almost like you're looking through a scanner, like a robot is how I used to think of it about, oh, what's he doing? Oh, now he's screaming and now he's yelling. Okay. And I'm just taking notes in my head and I'm scanning and going, okay, look, there's a, a display case over there. I need to put my body between him and the display case so that he can't knock that over and hurt himself or somebody else. All right. What's next? I'm scanning, making sure. All right. Now, you know, he's stomping his foot. I'm just keeping a running report of what's happening. Um, because if we, it's just like a fire, if we don't give it oxygen, even though they're little kids, and they have a great deal of energy, they will run out of steam very quickly.
And we want to make sure that in the middle of all this, that we are in no way rewarding it. So we're, we're not ignoring the child, right? We're ignoring the behavior, but we're still very present with the child. We are not um, giving the behavior attention and saying, stop that. We're in a store. This is not appropriate. You need to get it together. This is not how we behave at school. In truth, that monologue is for ourselves to calm down turn it inside. Be saying that to yourself. You can say whatever you want to your child inside yourself. We're just not saying it vocally to them because it is attention. It is attention and it will fuel the fire and we don't want to do that. And it might make this behavior happen again. In any case, um, you know, you wait it out. You wait it out. Once everybody is safe and once you've got yourself together, you very simply wait it out. Um, it's amazing that when we don't attend to it, and by the way, you have to make sure that nobody else is attending to it too, whether it's that you have to ask people to please step away. And sometimes, you know, in the moment you're rude and they can create other problems, um, right? Uh, whatever it is, we do our level best in the moment. And sometimes that's not going to be perfect, but we do our level best and we wait it out so that when it's done, it's over. That's not the time to talk about it. That's the time to get make sure that you get to a very safe location. Your child is probably going to sleep after that level of a crisis, right? Um, and that's the perfect time to call the people who you are working with and say, this is what happened or to write it down. And those three columns that we talked about, okay, so what was the antecedent? What happened before? What was the behavior? What did it look like? And what were the consequences? And to note the times and everything that happened and keep that uh, running total. Because when you do bring a BCBA in, that's going to help you to be able to do the assessment, um, the FBA, that much quicker. So I hope that that is of help to you. I want to say to all of us, uh, it's a rough day. Let's be kind to ourselves. Let's, uh, if you're a praying person, send our thoughts to Avante Aquendo's family and let's all hug our children a little bit harder today because, um, sometimes bad things happen and, and we'll be mindful and be helping you here on the show, uh, to come up with ways that we can prevent these kinds of tragedies from happening. We're out of time. We're going to be back tomorrow with Ask Dr. Doreen. We've already got some questions, but be writing them in through the night. We will have a friend of the family of Avante Aquende with us tomorrow as well. Until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me. Bye-bye for now.